Before we get started, I want to thank Anthropology for supporting our podcast. Hello there, I'm Julie Vadnall, Deputy Editor of Domino, and this is Design Time, The Rebellious Ones. If you've listened to this podcast before, you know that we interviewed some of the biggest names in interior design. But this season, I'm doing things a little differently. I'm going to be talking to rebels, the out-of-the-box thinkers who put their creative stamps on our world, whether they work in design, fashion, or even food. After all, you don't have to paint a room all black to be a rebel, though I think that'd be super cool. Some of us engage in tiny acts of resistance every day, and that counts too. Each week, I'll talk to a new guest, a rebellious one, if you will, about how they turn off the doubting voices in their heads and how you can find your only you style. Let's do this. You've definitely seen the work of today's guests on a dinner table, or maybe my dinner table in particular, or perhaps on a wall or hanging from a ceiling, and you've 100% seen her work in Domino. Her ceramics, which are famous for their tubular shapes, use of negative space, and gorgeous texture, are now ubiquitous in the design world. You can even find them at West Elm. And it all started with a paper plate, but more on that in a second. Please welcome Virginia Sin, founder and CEO of Sin, to Design Time, The Rebellious Ones. Welcome. Oh my gosh, I'm seriously blushing. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for such a warm and generous intro. It's really great to be here. Oh, I'm so happy to have you here. And literally yesterday, I was interviewing someone about their home and they had your bowl on their table. So I was like, she's just everywhere. The first thing that we ask everyone to say is to introduce themselves. So you'll say, I'm Virginia Sin, and I'm a rebel blank. I'm Virginia Sin, and I'm a rebel designer and entrepreneur. Love it. When I think about your career and I think about the way your your art looks, I think you're rebellious, but do you think you're a rebel? I guess I might have rebel tendencies, but I don't really use that word when describing myself. I think I just try to live my most authentic self, which is I have a hard time being told what to do. (laughs) My famous line when I was younger was, you're not the boss of me. So I would say I'm pretty unapologetic, pretty strong-willed, and a pretty direct communicator. So the more you tell me something cannot be done, the more my curiosity grows and the more I will like deep dive into why and the more I wanna just challenge you. You were saying how you don't like when people tell you no or maybe underestimate you. Is there something that people told you like not to do that you're like, well, I'm just going to go ahead and do that. Thank you very much. Yeah, I guess it all stems from your childhood, right? Like everything does. I think my upbringing was very much, I just had a very tough and restrictive mother and she was an extreme case of a tiger mom. So if you're not familiar with that term, a perfect example would be I was forced to play piano for 12 years, starting at the age of five and a half. And so I was required to practice two hours a day. And for every day I missed practice, the number of hours would just compound. But I think by being always like restricted, I think when I was able to just live on my own and start to self-express, I think a lot of that stems from it. It seems like in a lot of ways, your business and what you do now is a rebellion. And so let's talk about Sin and like what you wanted to do with your brand and how it kind of like 
counteracted the way you were raised. Yeah, for sure. Sin's mission statement is to spread warmth and happiness to every home by infusing delight and function into everything that we make. And I think my physical home environment was void of any interior design. My dear parents were not raised to value form follows function. As long as the product or piece of furniture was durable or functional, ideally free, then it was a triple win, you know? And so beautiful design was definitely an afterthought. So I think it makes a lot of sense that I'm just like super passionate about making things for people and their homes and just so that they can hopefully feel warm and happy when they spend time there. And I think that delight and function, those two things are very much not mutually exclusive. And, you know, as much as I love my mom today, I really longed for more freedom and autonomy and just fun. And I think that's what I base my company's like mission and vision on. Yeah. I mean, it goes to the point that like design is so much more than just pretty things. Like, do you think that design for you was healing in a way or that design can be healing? Oh, absolutely. Yes. And I think there's a reason why there's art therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I kind of want to go back. I know you went to art school, but then you went into advertising. So like, how did you end up here? Does it all make sense? Or does it surprise you? Yeah, I guess it all makes sense. Looking back, there's like a photo of me when I was like, I don't know, seven or eight. And I'm like glazing this like ceramic turtle. And then in high school, you know, I did like two years of ceramics. I was just such a weirdo. And that was like the only place that I felt really comfortable and safe. And then I actually went to UC Irvine for two years and I studied management and economics because my parents didn't allow me to go to design school at the time. And then I applied to Art Center. So I transferred and I ended up majoring in graphic design. And so that's what I got my education in. And But I had like an emphasis in advertising because I just loved generating ideas, right? And like in advertising that that's all you do. You're an idea machine and you're just generating concepts for brands. And so I just remember like loving doing that in school. And then when I landed my first ad job, I was like, my soul was crushed because I had like packed my own little like art (laughs) box. I had like a healing mat and exacto blades. And I was like, ready to go to work and they put me in a cubicle and I was like, what? You don't need any of these art supplies? So, (laughs) (laughs) But my exacto. (laughs) Anyway, I ended up doing that for like 12 plus years. I think when I was an art director, creative director in that world, I learned a lot and I had taken a ceramics class when I had first started advertising and, you know, used it as I just needed a creative outlet that was a little bit more fulfilling. And that's actually where I designed my first product, the porcelain paper plate. And then I I experimented and made my own paper clay concoction using actual paper plates that I shredded. And then I entered it in Design Within Reach in this competition called Modern Design Function. And I ended up receiving like most sustainable for the design. And I remember thinking to myself, like, oh my God, my goal one day, you know, would be to sell to DWR and cut to 16 years later. As of this summer, actually, Sin products are now carried across all 62 of their design studios. So it took a little bit of time, but... (laughs) Virginia, that's so cool. 
I think there's so many good lessons in what you just said. A, that things take time and overnight success is not indicative of long-term success. And also that you were even in a job that you didn't really love, that was kind of just paying the bills. You learned about like the cycle of creativity and how like in a job like that, you have to constantly be creating. And I'm curious how that kind of like transferred over into what you're doing now, because obviously with a brand, you have to like launch new collections or launch new products on a consistent basis. Absolutely. I mean, in advertising, like you are literally only as good as your last idea. And so there's that constant pressure to have to show your value through your work. And you can spend months working on a campaign and the client can just decide that they don't like it even after you've produced the campaign and they can just pull it and say none of it is going to air. And so you end up learning that more about the process that you have to really take in and enjoy. And it's not always like the outcome and, but also you end up being really resilient and I really welcome feedback. I encourage that with my team. I mean, so much of it is not about the end result. It's about the people that you work with and the culture that you cultivate. Because at the end of the day, I mean, I can't do any of this without my team. And you have to just enjoy the process and the people that you work with. I want to talk about the actual look of your pieces because I feel like ceramics is a bit of a crowded market, but your pieces look so different. So was that like a conscious, I want to look different than everyone else? Or was it like, this is just who I am? I think it's a combination, but I think for in advertising, I learned the importance of differentiation, differentiation between your competitors and your brands. And so a lot of my clients that I work with, that was like their main business objective. And so I knew that even in 2006, ceramics was trending and it was somewhat crowded space. But what was my unique voice? Why create more product that already exists. So it's really important to kind of find what that visual vocabulary is. Yeah. I mean, what was your your vocabulary? What was on your mood board? What kind of words were you using to describe what you were making? Yeah, I think there's like two main pillars. I think the use of coils and then the second one being like leaving the clay body raw or unglazed. I think in the ceramics world of hand building, coils are traditionally like stacked one on top of each other, like like Lincoln logs to create that height. But I wanted to use the coil in more of like an exoskeleton way. And then the second component to that visual vocabulary, leaving it like unglazed and raw, it's both a conscious design decision, but also a business decision. So it actually helps us not use as much electricity. It saves on labor and material. And yeah, I think just personally, I love that like raw clay body aesthetic. I think it's absolutely beautiful. And it kind of speaks to the sunny, sandy, like born and raised in California gal in me. So yeah. That's so cool. I mean, it's funny. I briefly dated a guy who was into pottery. He worked at a bank and that was his like creative outlet because I remember when I told people we were dating and they were like oh so what's his creative outlet you know like they're like they all have them and I was like oh dang he does 
But it made me think that there must be something about clay, about using your hands and that medium that makes you feel something. So what is that? Yeah, the physicality of the work itself. You literally are turning a block of clay into potentially a functional or beautiful object Mm -hmm. that you want to look at forever, right? So it's super satisfying, but also the process as you're molding and pinching and it's very therapeutic. I think for someone that wants to use it as a way to feel like they can be in control of their life, like clay is super healing in that way because you can kind of just like do whatever you want with it. And then at the end of the day, you don't even have to fire the piece and you can just like ball it up and really just thank the experience and the process and not worry so much about the outcome. Yeah. I'm wondering how you think about like people incorporating them into your home. Like I'm looking for a little bit of your styling tips here because I do feel like it's a very specific style. There's not a lot of color. My apartment has a lot of color. Let's say you have a beautiful like candelabra that looks like a ribbon. It's so beautiful. And I'm like, how do I style that? Like I have a circular table. Will that work? Should I use tapers in all different colors? Tell me how you see people incorporating your pieces into their lives, maybe no matter what style they have. Absolutely. I mean, versatility is super important in my home. My palette is pretty muted. And I think there's just so many other things that can bring color to a home like the produce you bring home that sits in a neutral color fruit bowl, or you're having a dinner party and you want to do a tablescape that's all shades of green and monochromatic, you can use a range of like tonal green candles, but you've always got this like neutral white candelabra as your base that grounds you and everything. So that versatility is great. I love what you just said about letting like the bowl, for example, like it's what you put in it that makes it shine or it's like the citrus that you put in it that brings color. That's really like a brilliant idea. I'm curious too, is the bowl your bestseller? Yeah, I think for a long time the bowl was. Uh huh. And then I designed the Wayland, the candelabra, because I don't know, I was just messing with slab and I was like, I feel like let's try a different way of hand building. And that is sort of like our bestseller now. It's between that and our lighting. Our lunar pendant is also a top seller. Yeah. I think you were talking about feedback and using feedback. The mark of a rebel to me is someone who just doesn't care what other people think. Yeah. But it sounds like you really do take feedback into account when you're designing new things or maybe tweaking things. Like, do you care what people think? I mean, that's a really great question. I spent, I don't know my entire childhood (laughs) so worried about what others thought of me. I was just really different and I was bullied and I had a really tough home life. So everything just an all sort of like worlds were just challenging. And so I think I developed a really thick skin and it wasn't until I went to design school and I really kind of found something that I could use to self-express. And that's when I think I started becoming more unapologetic. But I think it's like a lie to say that you don't care ever about what anybody thinks. Yeah. I'm curious too how you maintain that level of creativity like on a consistent basis. Like I know you had that training, but like I love the story about how you made a couple pieces for your wedding and then we're like, oh, 
we're going to produce them. So like, do you feel like the ideas come out of necessity because you had to create it for something else or because you're just like, I have this slab of clay. What can we do next? I would say majority of the time it's based out of need. Uh-huh. If I can make it myself, then I don't need to buy it. Or yeah. if I can't find it, then why not make it? And maybe other people will also want it. So yeah, I think there's definitely the need component is pretty strong. Yeah. Well, it seems to me like a lot of your pieces marry this idea of like form and function. Like, for example, you had a toothbrush holder, but like if you didn't know that's what it was, you'd be like, what's this magical piece of art? So which comes first? Were you like, oh, people need a beautiful place to store their toothbrushes? Or was it like, oh, I made this, like, what can it do? Or does the art side come first or the function side? I think it needs to be equal weight. That would be like the perfect sweet spot is that it could represent both equally. Do you have a store in your life that whenever you walk through its doors, you become transported, inspired, and overwhelmed with pure joy? For me, that place is anthropology. Since college, I've bought candles, pillows, and dinnerware, literally you name it, from their cool, hyper-curated mix, and those are the pieces I've cherished for years. Nowadays, when I look at my vintage sofa and see the pink, lavender, and mustard-colored fuzzy anthro pillow on top of it, I feel the same giddy feeling I did when I first found it at Anthropology's Chelsea Market store. That's the amazing thing about Anthropology: It's nostalgic and forward-looking all at once. And as the holiday season approaches, I can't wait to wow my guests with only at Anthro pieces for hosting, celebrating, and entertaining. I'm clearly not alone. Anthro has hundreds of stores, millions of social followers, and a website that has new arrivals literally every day. Get inspired and start shopping at anthropology.com. I mean, I love asking people this question because the answers are so interesting, but like if you could create a space that already exists, but just put Virginia Sin products in there, what space would you want to make over? Well, that's actually a really great question. My five-year goal is to design a hotel. Oh, no way. And so it would be a dream to outfit the entire hotel with just Sin products. And I can't talk about it now, but I'm working with a really great partner, doing a partnership in designing beyond clay. And so I think that's going to be an in-between step before I reach that five-year goal. Yeah. I mean, I would stay at that hotel. (laughs) (laughs) We featured your office, which is gorgeous, in Domino. And I'm curious to know why it looks so much like a home. Like, is that important to you to work in a space that also feels like comforting and like a home? Or would you (laughs) rather be like strictly business here? Yeah, I tried to embody our mission vision when designing the new HQ here at the Navy Yard. And, you know, my team, we all come together every day to enjoy lunch. We'll use silverware and napkin linens and not eat out of our Tupperware. And we have really gorgeous natural light for everyone to enjoy. So I try to keep the space open for that reason. And we have plants in every corner. And so, yeah, I think you should feel really comfortable if you're going to spend that many hours a day at work. Why wouldn't you make sure that it's warm and cozy and calming, but also productive? I mean, are you the type of person who orders takeout and puts it on your china? Yes. 
Because <laughs> that seems to go with your ethos of like making a home yeah. feel special and like a comforting place. Yeah, all the little details. You got to also transfer the piece of garnish over too. <laughs> <laughs> Good advice. I know you're a mom, you're a business owner, you're just kind of crushing it. What do you do to recharge when you're not being a rebel? I guess I'm a bit of a busybody, but I love organizing. So I actually love organizing to recharge. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you're going to have to explain yourself a little bit here. (laughs) So like, give me a sock drawer, a junk drawer, a spice drawer. I'll organize it for you. I don't know. I just, it helps me take a break and decompress. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, a less extra answer to your question would be, you know, I obviously (laughs) love spending time with my friends and family you know, cooking for them. I love playing board games, really nerdy, like strategy and resource management ones. <laughs> Wait, like what? Like Catan. Oh, I love Catan. Oh, we should play together. We should play. We should 100% play. I'm always looking for new yes. people to play with. Yes. I would like to uh, learn yes. all your strategies. Exactly. You <laughs> learn a lot from playing with other people. I'm brutal though. Me I'll just too. Warn you. This is going to be okay, great. Good. <laughs> But yeah, I love, I think like my most favorite thing to do to recharge is traveling and going to like a warm place and just like lounge in the sun and just like float in any kind of like salty body of water. I think that would be the dream. Is there a piece of advice that you would give to your fellow rebels? You know, we're closing the year soon and I love setting goals and I think... If your goals don't scare you, then they're probably not big enough. Mm. I like to remind myself of that one all the time. Well, what scares you? You seem kind of fearless. (laughs) A lot of things scare me, but just because it makes you uncomfortable doesn't mean that you shouldn't give it a shot and try. Yeah. What is your next act of rebellion? Ooh, like I'm going to wake up my husband and ask him why he's not a morning person. Oh, you rebel. (laughs) No, I think if I planned for it, then it wouldn't be an act of rebellion. So it's more fun to just live on the edge. Amazing. Are you ready to play our fun game of Never Have I Ever? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, so I'm going to read the prompt and you just have to say if you have or haven't done this thing. So the first one is Never Have I Ever Decorated with a Neon Sign. Uh, So unfortunate, but the answer is yes. I am shocked. I thought it was a really brilliant idea at the time. I invested in this gigantic neon sign. I thought I was being different by mounting it on like this beautiful piece of wood instead of like acrylic back. Uh I thought this would be a great idea instead of applying vinyl sticker. Like my logo is a vinyl sticker to my trade show booth every season. But I used it twice and I was like, no, this is this is terrible. (laughs) Wait, that's so funny. So you had a neon sign that said sin. And that just seems so not your brand. Uh But I also respect that this was like, what, 2016? Okay, you're forgiven. Well, where is that sign now? (laughs) It's like in our fulfillment room, like turned backwards, upside down. Okay, never have I ever fought with a significant other over a decor item. Yeah. Every purchase basically feels that way. (laughs) 
I mean, I think at this point, he probably thinks I have terrible taste. Everything, he's like, absolutely not, no way. But, you know, we find a middle ground, so. Okay, never have I ever arranged my books by color. I used to have one of those, like, tower bookshelves. So I actually arranged it by book size from, like, the largest book at the bottom to the tiniest book at top. And, um, yeah, I think I ended up, like, arranging then after that like color almost like as a subcategory if that makes sense so that's hard to do I'm actually very (laughs) impressed never have ever looked up a friend's home price on Zillow doesn't everybody (laughs) from what I'm learning yes everyone does this I like to know because I just love real estate and it's it's just sheer curiosity and I just want to know what's on the market yeah okay last one never have ever spent way too much on a vintage piece I have not, actually. Oh, really? I'm still saving up to one day own, like, an original, like, Serge Mui piece or something. Yeah. yeah, I have not. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being on this podcast. I was so excited to talk with you. I love your work. I know you don't like compliments, but I really (laughs) do love it. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. It's been so fun. When I found out that I was doing this podcast, my one and really only request in the whole process was that Shadi Al-Hindi, the head of IT at our parent company, Recurrent, read the closing credits. And I know that might sound funny, but Shadi has a voice that I swear could sue the 100 crying babies. And I know this because sometimes when my computer's not working, I am that crying baby. And just hearing him talk instantly lowers my blood pressure. You will hear what I mean in just a second. I'm so excited to share Shadi and his beautiful voice with the world. Take it away, Shadi. Hello, I'm Shadi Al-Hindi, and contrary to popular belief, I'm not a voiceover actor, yet at least. But I am the Vice President of Technology at Recurrent, Domino's parent company. Julie asked me to read the credits to the podcast you've just heard. I blindly said yes, so I think that makes me a rebel too. And here we are. Design Time, The Rebellious Ones is hosted by Julie Fadmel and produced by Ali Alquiza, with special thanks to Lindsay Mather, Britt Ashcraft, Claire Urshishon, Michaela Klein, Kim Gray, Lindsay DeSimone, and Maria Luna. Our Chief Content Officer is Kate Berry. Our theme music is by the talented Alex Weinstein. And I'm Shadi Al-Hindi, Vice President of Technology at Recurrent Ventures. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. See you all next week, right here on Design Time, The Rebellious Ones.